the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel on special assignment today, uh, but she'll be back in the very near future. In the meantime, we're delighted to have a chance to have Peaches Hall in as our co-host on Caregiver SOS On Air. Peaches is the executive director at the WellMed Senior Center, the uh, Doris Griffin Senior Center over on Loop 410 at Ingram in the Ingram Park Mall area. A center that uh, has how many members now? A little over 5,000. I remember when we opened it, there were no members. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And we didn't think we were going to. We were just like, we couldn't wait to get it open. It seemed like it took forever. It's amazing. Yeah. Now it's just packed all the time. Over 5,000 members. Mm -hmm. Probably need more space. Oh, yes. Yes, we're going to get rid of the stores on either end. (laughs) (laughs) Take over the mall. That's it. I'm ready. Now, for those who don't know... Uh, Senior Center, and this fits into uh, one of the documentaries uh, our guest, uh, Deirdre Official, has been involved in. Uh, You've got a little love nest working there. You've got seniors, many of whom have lost their spouses or they're divorced. And you've got matchmaking everywhere at the Senior Center. Yes. Every time I come in, I'm like, where have you guys been this weekend? And we were out Cushada gambling. We took a bus. I mean, it was just amazing. And they go as groups. They've made such great friendships there. And, um, you know, new relationships, some dating. It's been it's been great. I'm thinking of uh, well. Why don't we get Deirdre on? She can talk to us about still doing it. <laughs> Deirdre Fischel joins us on the Caregiver SOS on air hotline. Deirdre, nice to have you on. Thank you. Nice to be speaking with you. She is an associate professor and director of the BFA in film video at the City College of New York, and the still doing it uh, uh, documentary looking at the intimate lives of women over sixty five. Uh, as Peaches was saying, uh, they get that in real life at the senior center she runs. We do. We we are a great group. <laughs> How did you, and we're going to talk a little bit about a number of other uh, documentaries that you've done, one being Care, uh, but tell us about Still Doing It. What was your interest? Um, well, I was actually pretty young when I did it, um, and it, it, it started in my 30s just looking at my sister who was turning 40, and, and you'd think that that's pretty young, but she was sort of approaching it with such apprehension. Um, she wasn't married yet. She didn't have any children yet, and it was just, it was like it was a death sentence at 40, and I started thinking, my God, if people are approaching 40 when people are living into their 80s with such fear of aging, Um, It says something about our society, and I just started getting interested in 
sort of creating, looking at what, what were women's lives like as they got older. And as I, when I met people in their 40s and 50s, they were so young that I actually, the numbers started creeping up. And I started really getting interested in um, were people, what were people's lives like in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s. And it was just sort of revelatory to see how many people were actually really, you know, in, as Peaches was saying, really having fun, really enjoying their lives. And I was, um, I really wanted to get that image out, not the sort of tired old grandmother who's, you know, sort of lost interest in life because um, aging can be so much more than that. There was a story in the San Antonio Express News the other day about a couple, he's 94, she's 93, uh, who just got married and uh, looking forward to uh, a long life together. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, obviously it's a shorter time, but what I found, um, because first I did that film and then um, my producer and I wrote a book on the subject, is that sometimes, you know, you'd think, oh, people are older, so they're kind of stayed, but sometimes I think that the number of years actually adds a kind of urgency and a kind of sense of like, yeah, let's just jump in with two feet. We don't have a lifetime, but we have some time and let's go for it. I'll so tell I think you, it can actually create adventure. tell you a true story. My late uncle, Saul, who was living in a retirement community in Florida, at the time he was in his late 80s, early 90s, his wife died uh, in the apartment. Uh, and, oh. and, and yeah, well, you know, it happens. <laughs> yes. and, and, and he's trying to make arrangements with the funeral home to pick her up. And there's a knock on the door. And it's the woman who lived across the hall. And she said, Sal, I heard about Alma. I'm so sorry. Are you free for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, well, she's still in the apartment. Can we wait a while? Wow. But that yeah. y- your sense of urgency made me think of that. Yeah. And I think this, that sense of urgency comes from loneliness. Sometimes they, you know, they're just uncomfortable being by themselves. And it's so great to see people strike up new relationships and new friendships. And you see that all the time all at the, the time. Uh, Doris all Griffin the time. Senior Center. Mm-hmm. All the time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so as you take a look at uh, 20 plus years of uh, directing uh, documentaries and dramas, Deirdre. Uh, one one of the latest you've been involved in is a documentary called Care, which takes a look at the home care uh, industry providing in home care for seniors. What, what got you interested in that? This, is, of course, is a program aimed at caregivers, so we really, uh, you know, are, are interested in what you're doing here. Well, I think the interest, I sort of stayed, my mother was a character in my first film, and in her 70s, she was just, you know, extremely vibrant, working, um, just, it was very exciting to watch her uh, age uh, like that, but you know, a decade later, I really, she started to become frail, and you know, you'd think that frailty would be just a normal course of life, but I think it took her by surprise, it took my family by surprise, and as we started, my sister and I to talk to her, um, at the time she was too proud to use a cane, so she was falling a lot, so we were very worried about her, and she just made it clear that she wanted to age at home. And that was sort of the beginning for this journey for me of like, well, what does that look like and where am I supposed to go to get that help? And, 
it was just it was complicated um i didn't i just we realized medicare wasn't going to pay for it so it was scary in terms of the expenses coming up you know we're working mothers we don't we live an hour away from my mother we knew we were going to need help and that sort of launched me in um to to this whole world that even though it's happening all around us it it was just a world that i had never entered i had you know i see caregivers on the street but i had never seen paid caregivers in a home setting and really understood what that work looks like what those kind of relationships look like or what the united states infrastructure looks like to provide that so that became a whole three-year journey for me um to make care and when you think about it nobody has ever said man i can't wait till they take me out of my home and put me in a nursing home you know, I don't want to be negative about nursing homes in the sense that I think for some people at certain points um, it is the right choice. But 90% of Americans want to age at home. And I think, um, you know, having spent years in people's homes getting uh, home care, it's, it's sort of understandable why. People, the familiarity of their home, often people were in their home 30, 40 years grandchildren are running in and out often neighbors were coming in and out there were animals so it's just for a lot of people what they said was everything that was that that made them feel connected to life was in their home and they wanted to uh preserve that for as absolutely as long as they um as they could my mother is adamant about it um and and i feel too that you know i would want to age it in place and yet, when you take a look at that industry, uh, we, we have no real support, uh, no real funding to pay for uh, that kind of service. In, in the uh, trailer uh, that we had a chance to screen, one of the uh, home care workers talks about needing, uh, understandably, and it's not much money, $15 an hour. Uh, no one uh, is averaging that kind of money who delivers home health care. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially what we have, you know, and is, and I'm not coining this, they're activists who've coined this, but it's kind of a wild west where there's really almost no regulations, there's really not an infrastructure. Um, and so what you have are, if you don't qualify for Medicaid, you have families that are going bankrupt and you have workers who are literally living in poverty. I mean, you know, food stamps, shelters, even working full time as home care workers. So it's, it's pretty appalling. But, and you know, people say, well, how can that be if it's poverty wages? Um, but when you start getting into 24-7 care, which sometimes people need, um, it, 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 it can add up. It can bankrupt a family, even a middle-class family, in a couple of years. And so we don't really have a system. And I think a lot of people are confused about that. I really think that they, they don't understand. They think Medicare will kick in. And, and the irony is that medic, if you fall and, you know, you know break your hip, Medicare will pay for everything. You know, all your services, even if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, it will be paid for by Medicare. But it will not pay for an in-home person to come and help you to prevent that fall. So there's a lot of um, cost analysis that I think that could be done, but we have to kind of be looking at it as a society and thinking that we're interested in thinking about where do we want to put our dollars to support um, our parents as they age. 
One of the things I always recommend is long-term care health insurance. And mm-hmm. and I, I, I cannot tell young people enough to do it when it is a decent rate. But either way, because it won't be there to, to pay for us when we do fall. And you, you're right. They'll pay for that hip to be replaced and and to get the, the physical therapy. But the minute they're not progressing or the minute they're, they're well, then they have to go home. And, right. and so sometimes I think that we hear our families say, please don't take me out of this house, when in reality sometimes the best thing is some of the wonderful residential care homes. And it's a different feeling than a, than a nursing home, and it is a better price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, we when you make a film, you know, it's it's hard because sometimes people want the film to give you the answers. Mm-hmm. I think we weren't looking, but what we, what we, when we set out to make the film, my producer and I, is what we really wanted was people to be talking about this because it's still seen as a completely private matter. You know, you take care of your parents and I'll take care of mine. But if you have families all over the country, and I mean, you know, rural, urban, across party lines are grappling with paying for and navigating care systems for our parents, then to me it's something that we should all be thinking about collectively. Now hold that um, thought. We're going we're to we're come right back to you. Okay, great. Stick with us. We're talking with Deirdre Fischel on our 9.30 a.m. The Answer Hotline. Caregiver SOS on air is what you're listening to. I'm Ron Aaron along with... Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Thank you for thank you for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Peaches Hall is filling in for Carol Zerniel today. And in our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, we're talking with Deirdre Fischel, who is a documentary and drama TV film producer. She's at films that have been shown at Sundance and South by Southwest. So you've made it to Austin, Texas. That's a good thing. Yeah. And we're talking, <laughs> talking about care, uh, a documentary that she has uh, produced. Uh, and it, it's going to be part of a national community screening tour. What does that mean? Well, that's a tour that's going specifically to community groups, so whether it's AARP or National Organization of Women, um, various retirement groups. I mean, just really, it's right now it's been in over 50 screenings in 23 states because, again, this issue is just it goes everywhere. And actually, I was just looking before we got on that it will be in San Antonio, um, actually on, uh, looks like, 
no, uh, September 30th with a group called Domesticas United, You Need Us. Um, and I think that's because also uh, there's a lot of immigrants who wind up doing this work because it is poorly paid. And um, and frankly, we, we need those immigrants to be doing the work because we're headed for a care gap. We just are headed. We're, we're the, 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 there's people who use the term tsunami, and there's going to be a tsunami of need as these baby boomers hit uh, hit their 80s. Um, we're going to need a lot of help to, uh, to age with dignity in this country. Well, unless we have a, a program that uh, provides a, you know, a true decent living wage and, and training, there won't be caregivers for that tsunami. And I think that's a really terrific point. I mean, I think that, that the, tr- the truth of the matter is, uh, is probably the, the saddest story for me in our film is that a terrific caregiver, and uh, she was working in rural Pennsylvania and a real kind of, uh, you know, just rock a Gibraltar person. She loved being a caregiver. She was a terrific caregiver. Um, she, she left the profession because she can make more money as a truck driver. And I think we're not going to keep the really good people. We, we, we're certainly not going to grow it until, as you said, we have a living wage, um, that it's actually a job that people want to have. And it seems ironic because we're in a country that needs jobs and needs new industries as other industries um, are failing or declining. Um, and it, it, it seems to me like it's a place where we could have some real growth. But we're not going to have growth if it's a job that is – you know, really, it's a it's a poverty wage job at this point, and to me, that's that's really the crime because it is hard work. Um, you know, maybe not if someone just needs a little bit of care and you're there and helping them make food, but but what I saw in home care extend to people with dementia, uh, to people with Parkinson's. Um, people who are still able to really enjoy aspects of their life being in their family, but they needed a lot of help. And it's physically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. It's complex work. Um, but yet it's not even really seen as work. It's also going to air on September 5th on America Reframed. Mm-hmm. On, is that on PBS? That is PBS. That is PBS, and it will be on September 5th. You can check your, uh, check your, your listings. local listings. It, but also, starting September 6th, it will, people will be able to see it online for six weeks um, on, on the PBS website. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a great opportunity because, you know, obviously a lot of us like to see things on demand when we have the moment to do it. Um, so it, it will be there for six weeks for anyone who wants to see it. Um, you can just look up CARE on the PBS website, and it will be there from September 6th for the next six weeks after that. You said it took you about three years to put that documentary together. Mm-hmm. What, what, are you, what are you working on now? Well, I, yeah, I've gone to a, probably one of the most different uh, projects you could ever do. I'm currently doing a project on uh, women and policing. And I'm, it is focusing on the Minneapolis Police Department, um, which was just ironic because we were already there looking at that police department because it had a, a woman chief and they've just had um, some, you know, the shooting of a, of a, of a white woman. Yeah, she just quit. Of, yeah, she just and re- she did. She quit. She did. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard. Chiefs, are, chiefs kind of come and go. Actually, I think the chief in Antonio may have actually been a chief originally in Minneapolis. But, yeah, um, that's correct. Uh, McManus came from yeah. from there, and he was in Washington D.C. before that. 
Yeah, it's a very political job, and obviously this is a moment fraught with a lot of tension. Um, you know, if you ask a lot of people in the community in Minneapolis, they have one set of feelings. If you ask people within the department how they feel about um, their leader leading, uh, you know, they're, they're very upset and pained by it, although they like uh, the new chief who's, who's been appointed. In fact, Chief McManus uh, actually left San Antonio Police Department, briefly went to work uh, in, in the private sector, uh, mm. And they conducted a search looking for a chief, and they said, you know, the best chief is the chief we had, uh, and they made him an offer, and he came back. Well, that's great. That's great. But, you know, I guess that what I'm always looking at is is worlds that we don't see, and yet they're all around us. So, you know, with CARE, I was interested in kind of what was happening behind closed doors with with home care. What did it really look like? What were the relationships that people had? Um what were people up against? Um, and with the, the police, I think that one story that really isn't being told is what women uh, officers bring to the table. And they have a very good track record, and yet they haven't been elevated. Um, so that's that's the project that I'm working on now. When it comes to care, just a little video that we saw on the Internet, uh, you got interesting and, and very intimate access into people's homes. Uh, was that difficult to arrange? Um, you know, it was a little bit. I mean, um, because because I think people feel, un- unfortunately, they're often kind of ashamed to to be at this state um, because our, I think our society focuses so much on independence. So I think sometimes when we lose our independence, we can feel somehow that we've done something wrong. Um, so it took a little bit of doing, but I think that, you know, I think that the people people who are getting home care, so many of them, feel very good about that care. Their families feel good about that care. They want to um, they wanted to tell that story. And I think whenever you're making a documentary, it works best when you really you know when people understand what your motivations are and they feel that that's a story that they want to get out there as well. Uh, so sometimes it takes, you know, just spending some time without the camera before you jump in and so that everybody feels comfortable um, that you're making, that you have the same vision about the kind of film that you want to make. And the people whose homes you were able to go into, uh, you know, wide variety of challenges that those folks were, were facing. Uh, the, the, the little snippet we saw with a uh, man who had Parkinson's was very touching. Yeah, he's, I mean, you know, Peter's an incredible example of somebody who is, you know, his wife says something interesting at the film that I think is really poignant. She says, you know, we all of us don't think it's going to be us or it's not going to be the people that we know. Um, certainly with, eight, with, with you know, he was in his 70s when he got this very virulent form of Parkinson's, but he was a CBS executive, a Rhodes Scholar, an athlete. Um, so he's, you know... You couldn't have had a more kind of shining life than they did um, with money for retirement, um, and, and things are quite different now. And the, you know, and yet, you know, I think for his wife having him at home, um, their family, their connection, whatever they have, is is. Uh, you know, they're able to enjoy moments of real happiness, and part of that is because he has been able to stay at home. And have you seen, since you put this together, any changes or 
people talking more around? What have you seen from this? You know, we're at the very beginning of a kind of a long journey, but I think that this whole, um, you know, the whole Medicaid, when people were afraid that we were going to lose some of the expansion to Medicaid, um, I think people got very, there was a, a whole feeling of like people were almost like in a war, and it seemed almost like, you know, a film was sort of superfluous superfluous. Now what we're finding is people are going, yeah, we need films. We need films that are talking about health care and really about sort of the dignity of families and what, um, you know, what dollars can bring for people, you know. Um, so we're seeing a real surge right now in people wanting to use the film to talk about um, what are some of the services that Medicaid provides, because many of the families in the film are on Medicaid. Um, and what we have in this country is also a system where people who are upper middle class can then, once they lose their money through paying their life savings for care, they then qualify for Medicaid. Um, so in the end, the government is really paying for it. That's, that's the ironic thing here. But I think people are very interested right now. And there is a real surge, I think. People are realizing, wow, um, the qual- whole quality of our life is at stake if we learn if we lose certain supports um, in the healthcare system and in fact I think we need some expansion um, to as we said before be able to give these caregivers a living wage at the same time that families are being taken care of stick with us we're going to come right back to you we're talking with uh, Deidre Fischel who is a documentary film producer and director talking about care uh, her most recent work which you can see on September 5th on America Reframed or on demand on PBS uh, sometime after that for about six weeks. I'm Ron Aaron along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zernio today on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. We're happy to be with you. And what hasn't changed is what Peaches Hall is talking about in terms of funding and Medicaid and where that money goes and what it can be used for. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM. The answer on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, talking with Deirdre Fischel, who is a documentary film producer and director and a project that she took three-plus years to put together called CARE, which takes a look at the home health care industry and folks who are dependent upon home 
health care. And we were talking uh, off the air, Peaches and I, about uh, all the cost involved in uh, if you go into a nursing home, if you go into a assisted living, which isn't covered at all, uh, it, it's amazing. Seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a month for uh, uh, nursing, residential nursing, skilled nursing uh, care. Who can afford that, Deirdre? You know, I I don't really know. I mean, you have to. I mean, I think the the figure that I heard was if you're like that one percent. You know, if you're really really wealthy then you can kind of move through that. But those kinds of dollars are huge. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that one of the things that's going to get people thinking about this issue is that we're starting to lose, um, you know, inheritance money, that people, you know, work their whole lives and think, okay, well, you know, I'll help my grandson or granddaughter go to college or those kinds of things or help my kids to, you know, get their first mortgage or those kinds of things. And that money is going to start to get sucked into uh, paying for elders to get the care that they need. So um, it's a huge, huge amount of money uh, uh, for most of us. You know, Um, there's a bumper sticker that I used to see a lot of on the back of RVs, uh, snowbirds coming down to Texas and Florida, and, and it would say, we're spending our kids' inheritance. That was cute, but spending it because you have to spend it on your own care isn't cute. It's a reality. Yeah, I mean, there's something very different about thinking that someone's doing it, you know, because they're often having, you know, this um, sort of wild fun or, you know, enjoying themselves. But, I I mean, I think there's a question really at, at, at the heart of this, which is as a society, do we want to take care of families? Do we want to take care of elders or do we want it to just fall squarely um, on the backs of families. And there are other countries that have systems, you know, Germany, for instance, and, you know, there are kinds of insurances where people pay a small amount each month um, that says, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in my family someone won't have years of, health, of, of elder care that they need, and maybe your family will, and that's the chance that we take. But we're kind of doing it as a group. Otherwise, it can fall very, very heavily on those unlucky people. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about living a lot, you know, many, many years and medical advancements is that people live longer, but it is bringing a whole host of issues um, because eventually, you know, my mother is 89 now and needs very, very little care. But, you know, having worked on this film for three years, if she's lucky enough to live it well into her 90s, she will need care. That's that's just the reality. And um, many of those why. many of those folks are outliving whatever savings they had. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I do that's believe true. if we put away for this and we plan for it, and we never taught anybody to do that, we have to think about that. It's our future that we have to plan for. Well, long term care, if you're in your 60s or 70s, is unaffordable. You need to take it out when you're in you're your younger. 30s. Yes, yes. That's and, the challenge. And when I talk to people about it, they say, well, what if I never use it? I'd pay double if I never had to use it. I, I, I'm thrilled. I, I mean, I have the, the long-term care insurance, and I'm happy if I never have to use it. So yeah. maybe somebody else can. But, but God, you just have to plan for it because it's dismal if not. Well, Deirdre, you, you made a very good point. My mother who passed away at the age of 90 several years ago, uh, used to say this. Uh, I'd say to her, Mom, you know, you're, you're living a long time. What's that like? And she would say to me, well, you know, Ronnie, uh, all my friends are dead. I have nobody to talk to. And everything hurts. 
Mm-hmm. Mentally, she was great, and even to the end, she had uh, no mental issues. My dad had uh, dementia, but but she did not. Uh, and so, while living longer uh, seems to be great, it, it may not be a big plus. You know, I mean, I think those are all the things that those are all kind of questions. You know, Atul Gawande just wrote a book about about do we want to keep people alive at all costs? And I, I'm not talking. You know, is is the goal because we also live in a country that will do very extreme medical things to just kind of keep people alive indefinitely. So are we interested in you know quantity of life or quality of life? I think those are all big issues that we're going to be grappling with. Um, you know, as we age. But one of the things that I think you know, people ask me all the time is making this film depress me. You know, is it hard to be seeing people who were losing their independence? And I have to say that it really, it didn't because much of the care that I saw was so human and so poignant. Um, and people were, there were such deep connections. One of the uh, women that we followed um, all the way through um, was a woman who lived 3,000 miles away from any of her family. She had wanted to stay in New York. Her family wanted her to come home, but she stayed in her apartment and she had never married or had children. And so she was really dependent on these caregivers. And the caregiver uh, that she had, the primary one, just truly loved her and, uh, you know, just they would go on adventures, they would go to uh, museums, she would invite neighbors over, you know, she was, there really was joy in that house, and it wasn't just, you know, waiting waiting those years out. So um, I do think that care can also be a great companion for people um, and uh, really provide joy. I saw a lot of, you know, fighting. Caregivers and clients often fight because it's very intense, but I also saw a lot of laughter um, and a lot of deep, deep connection. And that's also one of the things that I think we really have to to build into caregiving is that it is a very difficult job because often paid caregivers wind up seeing one or more clients. Um, pass away, and we, you know, we really, if we want this workforce, we also have to um, look at the complexity of the job, including the grieving process, and be there for those people so that they can heal and hopefully move on to uh, help someone else if, uh, during them, um, you know, who needs and wants care to stay at home. What kind of things do caregivers and their clients fight over? Oh, yes. you know, it can be very, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, it's like I, I want to go out, you know, without my walker. There's a lot of stuff around that kind of independent stuff. I don't want to go out with my walker. And usually what it is is that the caregiver is actually in a very difficult position because they're actually liable. You know, they're on the on the clock and on the books uh, to make sure that this person is safe. So it could be, you know, uh, wearing slippers. It could be holding on to something. But sometimes it's just, you know, someone's just venting and letting off steam or they're frustrated about something else and the caregiver is in the line of fire. And so the best caregivers I saw had a really, really good sense of humor and they really um, empathized with their clients and said, okay, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be in a wheelchair or it's hard to be facing certain things, and they were able to really roll with it. But that's one of the difficulties of the job. It's not an easy job. Yeah, one of the things Peaches uh, was saying, and you see this a lot in memory units, bath time and showers are often a big issue. Yes, yes, definitely. You know, um, 
but then also too, you know, it's just when I saw, you know, people getting baths, you start to realize, wow, this is really, you know, we're talking, you know, it's one thing to give a, a baby a bath, but when you're starting to give another adult, who's even maybe even if they're frail, it's, 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 it's a big job. It's a big job on so many. Physically, it's a really big job to give someone dignity um, in that experience. It's easier to just, you know, if you're just going to just kind of do everything, but. One of the things that I found was the really good caregivers were always checking in, asking questions, um, and trying to let the person do as much as they possibly could. So always trying to help them have the most dignity possible, the most independence. And it's a fine line to, you know, you can just sort of take care of someone, but you also don't want to infantilize them. Um, so it's a bit of a dance. The question of... Uh uh, who goes into that work? It's mostly women. You mentioned many of them uh, immigrants, uh, and it's very low paying. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't have the kind of respect it should have. The comparability would be kindergarten teachers who we ought to pay a million bucks a year to, uh, but yes. we don't. Yes. I mean, I think it really is a question of, yeah, it's like what do we value? And there's a, um, uh, the director of a of a healthcare agency that um, who I spent some time with said, you know, if we have decided that garbage men, you know, people who take out our garbage, that that's work that has value. It's not the easiest work. It's not work that all of us would want to do. It can be messy work. But we have decided that that's a service that has, that we want people to, you know, get over time. We want people to be able to take care of their families doing that kind of work. And he said, you know, he's waiting for the moment that we feel that way about caregiving. Um, it's not easy work, but it, you know, if we if we were to say that it was really important, that it had value, we would obviously give it a different infrastructure. And I think one of the things is that, you know, caregivers let the rest of us go to work. You know, once upon a time, this was women's work done in the home by families. The, the fact of the matter is so many families need to go to work now. And so if we start to think, oh, these care workers are letting our economy run. I mean, if all the caregivers, you know, suddenly said tomorrow, we're not going to work, there's a lot of people who would have to be calling in sick. And so I think they are really part of our economic infrastructure, um, and and yet they're not compensated that way. So when we saw that, when we saw what that labor action did to the buses in Selma, Alabama. I think it's. I think there has got to be a certain point where the the that what they do and the power that they have is, and I think there is organizing happening more and more. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing that people are thinking who are organizing now is that they hope that some of these efforts and that the consciousness that this is an issue we should be thinking about happens sooner than later. Because what we don't want to have happen is what we were talking about before, that, you know, you have this huge number of elders that are produced from um, the baby boomers really hitting advanced age. There are many over 65 now, but a lot of six people that age are very vibrant still. When we hit that, if we don't start changing our system, we're going to hit a crisis. And so I think the question is, can we organize ahead of that crisis and think about a system that's really worked for all of us? Um, because there's no question we are going to hit a crisis. We're not going to have the, 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 the people to do it. Um, and 
we're not going to have the people that we want to be doing it. You know, uh, there are people that come into this work who are angels. That's what they're called because, you know, if you love this work and you do this work well and you're paid really poorly, you're kind of an angel. But there are people who come into this work because they have no other alternative and it's like the one job they can get. And, you know, that's what you're going to get more and more of if you make the job as unrewarding financially as it is now. In your system, how would this be put together? Now that you've done this film and you've seen it from all these different angles, what does your system look like? You know, I think that there's got to we got to have put a lot of heads together. You know, I don't have a quick answer, um, but I do think it has to do with getting, coming together as a country and saying, we see this coming. We see that there's going to be all this care, and we want to talk about systems that work, looking at other countries and systems that they work. Um, and it may be, you know, it may be that it's just too expensive for every single person to live at home. Maybe you need to have group homes. I but agree. I don't, I don't think we're going to get anywhere until we start the discussion and we say, well, this is like, you know, this should be like very high on our agenda of things to be thinking about. And people don't want to think about it. Because they just, you know, they don't want to think that they're going to become frail. It's painful. To, it's painful even to think of our parents becoming frail. Well, unfortunately, I got to stop you right there. We are flat out of time. Uh, but again, uh, care will uh, be screened in San Antonio on September 30th, and we'll uh, let folks know about that here on Caregiver SOS on air. And you can watch it on television on September 5th on America Reframed on PBS and. Uh, Deirdre Fischel, thank you for the work you're doing. It's fascinating. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I appreciate you coming on. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's really so interesting. So, Peaches Hall, thank you for sitting in for Carol. We, we always love having you here. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in... The year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline for Take 10, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment. And Dr. Jamie, a nationally known psychotherapist, deals with addictions as well as caregiving and is well known for his work in both fields. Delighted to have you with us, Jamie. How are you doing? Uh, it's great to be with you. I'm doing fine, thank you. That means freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional from last week's episode, if you remember. Absolutely, and uh, I probably will never forget that. Now, I did a little research, and I came up with the five biggest issues 
that sabotage family caregivers. And I wanted to toss these out to you and get your response in dealing with some of these issues. And these are the sore points that often undermine family caregiving. And the top of the list, they put lack of privacy. You know, I cannot think of anything probably more pertinent than that, that a caregiver's privacy is totally tied to his dignity or her dignity, and that your life obviously becomes very much open to your loved one you're caring for and to the family members that are surrounding this entire experience. Um, we, we have this beautiful thing sometimes of like being on our own and being in our own cocoon and bubble sometimes and having peace from the world. But the world of caregiving seems to open up, let's say, doors that we don't want to open up that bring stress and anxiety in and, and, and our privacy is threatened. So I totally understand why that can be an issue. And one of the solutions that uh, in this list they suggest is try to establish household rules that people agree on with respect to access to the kitchen, the television, and other possible points of conflict. The bathroom, for example, if you're dealing uh, with a care recipient with dementia, often they will barge through any door. There's nothing but nothing more important to self-care and not to burn out than to create the boundaries you just described. Now, those are physical boundaries, and that's really wonderful, and I believe that uh, they're vital and necessary. But emotional boundaries are also very important, too, and and that is that, you know, we need not to be all things to all people. We need to be uh, authentic and to be able to say no and to say yes and to draw lines of demarcation of how much we can do and not do. It's much like the metaphor you're using with the household issues of kitchen and living room and times and, and dates, if you will. But that's, that's a great example. And, and it's not, again, it just feeds into our self-care model. So our point number two on this list, and this is one <laughs> you and I both have uh, small kids. They're older now, so this is not as big an issue. Ignoring sleep deprivation. There's nothing but nothing, at least to me personally. Forget the professional side now. That's more impactful than sleep deprivation. And frankly, caregiving is, is the, I think, the greatest exacerbator of that. You know, to go to sleep and to be restful, to set up our room in a way that, that is conducive to sleep and you're not watching videos and television and, and you can lay down and possibly go through a meditation. I mean, that's the way really to get your strength back to be able to sleep. But caregivers all too often go to sleep anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, depressed. And, and these thoughts keep us up and throughout the evening. And then when we wake up the next day, I mean, we may have had very disturbed sleep, you know, two to three hours of sleep. And our whole day, and our relationship with everybody around us, and our jobs, if we're still at them, is so effective. So sleep is huge, Ron. Now, very, what, ab- very big. what about the concept that a lot of uh, older people believe that, hey, look, poor sleep's a part of getting older. It isn't. I mean, it, we, we can accept that. But I think that if you go to a good sleep specialist, I think this is what I would suggest for your listeners to do is to not accept it, that not to just have a throwaway line that we're getting older. Um, that there's a lot of things psychologically you can do to get better sleep. And I have to tell you, if we're going to be growing older and, and age you know, properly, we're going to need sleep. Um, I, for one, can tell you this on a personal basis. It took me to go to a neurologist sit down and put together a routine, if you will, uh, a new habits, that, if you will, so, so that I could sleep. And so 
don't flip this off to anybody, uh, you know, in any sort of flipping line that says exactly that. You must be able to have good, restful, restorative sleep to be able to either be a caregiver or to be a care receiver. Some people, especially caregivers, believe that if they address their sleep problems, that it's really just selfish, only for their benefit. Well, that you know, we know that's totally wrong because, let's face it, if you're feeling good and you're feeling emotionally right, you're feeling well-rested, um, your loved one would feel safer. Your loved one will feel like they're in the presence of somebody who is feeling okay. I mean, let's face it, our, our loved ones are scared. They're going through the chronic and, or terminal illness, and, and there's nothing at all remotely associated with that. that we do need to get sleep because if we don't do it for ourselves, we must do it for everyone around us. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel on special assignment today. This is Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer, part of our Caregiver SOS On Air program. Number three on the list, and we've talked about this, the lone soldier syndrome. A lot of caregivers believe, hey, they're in this alone. There's nobody out there to help them. You know, that goes with also people with chronic illness. So you, you can compound that twice. Not only is the caregiver is a lonesome cowboy or cowgirl, but so is the person they're taking care of because chronic illness will isolate them. Listen, nothing is more, you know, hurtful, if you will, to the body than to be lonely, to be isolated, to be detached. To do this in a lonely fashion only creates some of the worst burnout we could possibly have. That's why I think, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, uh, it's great to see a therapist, and I would recommend every one of your listeners to see one, and we can tell them how to find one. But the first thing I would do would be go to a support group. Uh, Go to Caregiver SOS, if you will. Uh, Sit with other people who have gone through the experience you've gone through. They hold the key. Do not isolate. Do not isolate. And let me give you the third point. Do not isolate. (laughs) I like that. Next on the list. And we're talking with Dr. Jamie Heisman, uh, not anticipating what's coming next. Like firefighters, caregivers tend to stop out one flaring crisis after another, and they don't see anything else coming. It's all unpredictable. It's random, and it is unpredictable. But then again, you know, if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, um, you're really giving up the present here that, that God gave you. And so we have to be able to be strong in the present that this randomness and then these sort of episodic issues that we don't expect that pop in on us will happen. I mean, it's just the key. Caregiving is the embodiment of Murphy's Law. And so we must, I mean, we must take our oxygen first and take our self-care seriously. For us to be on one leg and for one of these sort of episodic issues to happen, we get blown over. It's almost like a hurricane. If we can be on two feet, which means having self-care, taking care of our mind, our body, our spirit, um, then come what may, we can handle a lot better. And again, and again, even though it's, it's important to talk about this is, is great for caregivers, this too is vital for the person they take care of, because then that, that person won't be so fearful. And number five on the list, Dr. Jamie, uh, overwhelmed by care tasks, the most difficult home care deal breakers are really practical matters. Uh, they go beyond the caregiver's ability to manage, like incontinence, heavy lifting, wandering behaviors, and someone with dementia, uh, it becomes overwhelming for the caregiver. Well, it does. And these issues are obviously going to require somebody to assist or help. And there's two answers I have for this. 
obviously, if we can have that family of choice, if we can go to our faith-based sort of centers and, and talk to pastors or rabbis or imams and, and say, look, we, we need some help, and maybe there's people in the, in the temple or church that can help us, that's great. Our support group also can offer us extraordinarily good answers in terms of that. Um, but again, again, and again, this all comes down to our own self-care. If we are, can see that we're not supermen, like we talked about, and and we cannot do the things that we think we'd like to do, but we need to ask for help from others, then things will be a lot easier. Hey, thank you. That was fascinating. Really appreciate it. And by the way, if you want to hear podcasts of our programs, they are all available. Just go to caregiversosonair.org, and you will find the podcast. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air and Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. We'll catch you again Sunday at 6 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.